All right. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be continuing through our study of the book of Colossians. We've been working our way through Colossians now for several weeks. And this morning brings us to verses 5 through 11 of chapter 3. Uh, You can turn with me there. We'll be in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. I'm reading in the English Standard Version, and it says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Uh, It seems to me that at the center of these verses is the idea of putting on the new self and putting off the old self. And what I want to do this morning is seek to answer a couple of questions that might arise surrounding this idea. Uh, First, what does our God mean when he commands us in his word to put on the new self? What does that mean? And secondly, assuming we understand what's meant by that, how do we do it? Uh, Very practically, how do you put on the new self? Uh, The observation we've made about the book of Colossians is, uh, like for example, in the book of Galatians, if you read the New Testament book of Galatians, in that book, Paul is arguing for the gospel. It is a a full-throated defense of what the gospel is. However, in the book of Colossians, and its companion book too, Philemon, Paul is not really arguing for the gospel so much as he is arguing for things in light of the gospel. He's writing to a people who agree with him about the gospel, and he's now making an argument for how that should be lived out in their midst. And that's really, I think, at the root of this. So when we hear about Paul saying, put on the new self, I don't think we should hear him saying in that, embrace the gospel for yourselves. He's talking about something else. And we really need to bring some precision to what exactly is he talking about. He's writing to believers saying, put on the new self, what does that mean? And if we understand rightly what it means, then what do we, how do we do it? That's what we want to talk about this morning. So let's begin with the first question. What does it mean? Well, this command to put off the old self and to put on the new uses the same language that we might use if we were telling somebody to change their clothes. Put it on. Take it off. That's the language Paul is using. And even if you go to the original language in the Greek, that's what it means. It's something you can put on and take off. And if I'm honest, at first blush, that description struck me as being wholly inadequate, (laughs) at least to what I understood about the new self. The inner transformation that comes with becoming a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. I was at first perplexed by Paul 
speaking about putting that on as some sort of an outer covering. Like I think of clothes as something I put on on the outside, but I think of the new self as being something deeper than that in my inner world of motives and what I love. And so I'm confused by this idea. Uh, my son, Jack, I didn't ask for his permission to tell this story, but he's been working harvest. And you guys who grew up in the county, you know, he's working like 12 hours a day kind of a thing. And sometimes he gets off work and has to go to soccer practice. And the other day I picked him up after working about, you know, 11, 12 hours and he got in the car and he smelled like rotten potatoes. <laughs> and he and his buddy who was working with him, they looked like they just crawled out of like a burrow underground or something. I mean, dirt everywhere. And he had to go to soccer practice. So like I drove home and he didn't have time to shower or anything. He just took off the potato picking clothes and put on his soccer clothes and we went. Now there he changed his clothes but guys, he was still disgusting. <laughs> I don't mean to call Jack out, but it was gross. You could, you know, and just he changed his outer clothes, but he still had a problem. He was still pretty dirty. And so that's the sort of thinking I had when I hear Paul use this language, put it on. I think of it almost as like, like a, a disguise is how I'm tempted to think of it. But it can't mean that, Right? It can't, of course. So clothing, just this external covering, and like I already said, that just seemed to my mind not to, not to really capture at least what I was thinking. And, you know, Paul's pretty good, but, you know, maybe I... No, just... <laughs> heaven forbid. I'm glad none of you laughed. You guys were shocked that I just said that. That's the correct response. So is putting on the new self just a matter of changing one's outward behavior? That's the question I, I've occurred to me, and it can't mean that, and here's why. First of all, what we're instructed to put on is a new self, a new self, which would be the same as put on your new being. Check out verse 9, where it says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So there, talking about the old self, putting off the old self does not consist of changing one's practices. There is the old self, and there are the practices that, with, that went with that old self. Uh, for example, COVID-19, we're all sick of hearing about this thing. But as we all know, COVID makes people have fevers, and it makes them cough and makes them out of breath, right? But you can't give yourself COVID by raising your body temperature. You can't give yourself COVID by making yourself out of breath. That would be mimicking the effects of the virus, but you can't get infected by putting on a show of the symptoms. So we should not get this idea of putting on the new self confused with putting on a show. When Paul says, put on the new self, he is not saying, change your outward behavior in a way that's less offensive. Put on a show. Cl dress up your old self in its Sunday best. That's not what he's saying. I think much religion looks like that. 
But that's not at all what he's encouraging us toward. The new self will find meaningful expression in the things we do, but it does not, cannot be understood to consist of simply changing our outward behavior. Christianity is, the church is not a self-improvement project. It is a, a call to be radically transformed through the Holy Spirit uh, in, uh, to be supernaturally changed in our inner world more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus in a way that, yes, we'll find expression in our outer worship, the way we live, but you can't reverse engineer it the other way. Well, so what is it then? Why does Paul use this sort of language about changing clothes if he's not talking about an outward display? Paul likes to use this analogy. He does it a lot in his letters, putting on and putting off. There are many scriptures we can point toward to demonstrate that this is a common expression of his, but I won't bore you with that. Let me just share a couple because I think they will help make Paul's meaning clear when he speaks this way to the Colossians. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes this, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the new self there, at least in the way Paul describes it to the Ephesians, is not something you create, it is something that has been created in you. It's something God has already worked and now the command is for you to make it visible. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in Romans 13.14, we read this, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So there the new self is to put on Christ. These words first written to people who had already been made new in Christ. So by telling the Colossians to put on the new self, Paul is not telling them, of course, to embrace the gospel, but rather to image it forth, to put it on display. Act outwardly in ways that agree with your inner identity and nature in Christ. Christ has been, you've been made into a new creation in Christ. Now publicly identify with him in the way you live, the things you love. I think this language about putting on the new self has to do with publicly identifying with Jesus. I think it's very, very, very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, to let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Put on the new self. Let your light shine. These are not two different commands. I think they are the same in their meaning and their import for us as followers of Jesus this morning. 
And when Paul says, put on the new self, we should think in terms of letting our light shine. Or perhaps, to continue Paul's clothing metaphor, uh, you could maybe think of a soldier who puts on a uniform, and by doing that, they become identifiable as belonging to a certain command or a certain people or who are living in service to a certain cause. Uh, If you put on that uniform, you are stepping out in a way that identifies you with that calling on your life that you've embraced, and it makes it publicly visible. However, what makes your new nature in Christ visible is not a uniform. We don't have uh, clothes that we require anybody to wear in the church, of course. It's these new attitudes and affections and a new way of living that Paul calls the new self here in Colossians or the new creation in 2 Corinthians. It's living outwardly in a way that makes our inner treasuring of Jesus visible. I think very often that the Christian life is like if if you had a rich uncle who died and left you in his will a gold mine in Alaska. And through geological surveys, he had estimated that there was, I don't know, $10 million in gold there. (laughs) But none of it's been mined out. The minute that you get the deed, you own $10 million worth of gold. It's yours. But you have to go in and dig it out. You have to go in and it's yours. You've got to go find it. You've got to work hard. You've got to work out your salvation. So I think that when you come to Christ, so much is yours by inheritance that then you're called to put on to dig out, to to make real in your life, to make visible. And a lot of the Christian life looks like that. So how do you do it? We've already kind of, maybe in a very roundabout way, sometimes I'm guilty of just having a big pile of words up here on the stage. I'm sorry for that. Let me bring it back to a point of precision. What is the new self? The new self is Jesus. Uh, If you have come to put your trust in Jesus for salvation, last week we talked about how Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, goes to great lengths to explain to the Colossians how deeply they are unified now with Jesus and how Jesus is, uni- is, is united to them. Their life is Christ. His death was their death. His resurrection is our resurrection hope. Everything is Christ. And now, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are given this radical new capacity for obedience We are given a new nature, new affections. We're made into a brand new creation. And what happens is that we image Christ forth in our life. The the command to put on the new self is to let the light of Jesus shine from your life, in your homes, in your affections, in the workplace, in your mix of attitudes and your affections. All these things make Jesus visible. That's the new self. But how do you put on the new self? I mean, if today you came to the awareness that I'm not really doing that well, how do I start? Where do I begin? Last week, we studied the first four verses of this chapter, and they contained these words from verse 2. It said, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And then comes verses 5 through 11 that we're studying this morning, and there's a word in verse 5 
that shows that the argument being made in these verses is linked to the idea of setting our minds on the things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. He says sexual, as he says, put to death, therefore, whatever is, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And that word earthly links us back in our minds to his uh, exhortation to set our minds not on things that are on the earth, but on the things that are above. And then he says, put to death what is earthly. And Paul gives some examples of earthly practices that flow from setting our minds on the things of the earth, which itself is a product of the old self that here we're commanded to put off. He starts with sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. I think we could probably spend a month of Sundays in his list there of all these things that flow from the old self. But three phrases jump out at me in his words there. Put to death put away, and put off. That's what he says. And taken as a whole, these three phrases communicate what we are to do with the old self and its practices. Kill it, remove it from your life, and no longer identify with it. So when it comes to this question of how to put on the new self, one of the very important parts of how we do that is putting to death, putting away, and putting off the old self. If you go to the Armor of God passage in Ephesians 6, uh, you'll see there at the tail end of uh, Ephesians 6, Paul writes a kind of a famous part of that letter where he describes these things that God has given us to defend ourselves against the schemes of the enemy, and it's commonly called the Armor of God. And if you read through that list of the Armor of God, you'll see that Paul describes every single last one has a defensive function except for one. Only one piece of the armor of God is not defensive in its function. And what is that? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the sword, a sword only exists for one thing, right? It exists for killing. (laughs) You don't take up a sword for any other reason except to kill with it. You can't shave with it, you can't whittle, you can't fix your shoes, can't pick your teeth. Swords exist for killing things. And one of the things we have to ask is, what does God want us to kill with the sword he's given us? The word of God, the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Romans 8.13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The sword is for putting to death. And by the Spirit we put to death our sinful deeds. We can start to see the link that Paul would, would put together for us to see how to put to death the old self and its practices. So the way we kill our sins and put to death the lies of Satan is with the Spirit's sword, the Word of God. 
I'm often reminded at Hide and Seek Club, which we're going to be starting soon, Psalm 119.11. Usually at Hide and Seek Club, we have our club members memorize some scriptures. And Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There is this constant link between the word of God and putting sin to death in our lives. It's called the sword of the spirit because though it was written by human hands, the words were given by inspiration through the Holy Spirit. The words are inspired. And it's the spirit that guides us in understanding it and wielding it. But let me clarify something further. When I say that you have to have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to put sin to death in our lives, I don't mean have the Bible in your hands. I mean you need to have it somewhere else. Uh, This is going to get a little nerdy for a second. If you're not a nerdy church person, if you don't geek out on words and their meanings, just go to sleep and for a second, in a second, I'll wake you up. The rest of you can hang in there with me for a second. I promise I'll be brief. When the authors of the Bible wanted to refer to the content of the whole Bible, all of God's revelation, all of its 66 books, they used the word to logos to refer to the word of God in its entirety. That word is logos. That's the word of God. Logos simply means that, word. But interestingly, in this Ephesians 6 passage about the armor of God, when he says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Paul there does not use the word logos. He is not saying that the sword of the Spirit is the Bible. The word he uses is rima. And Rima, as it's used here and elsewhere in Scripture, refers not to the Bible in its entirety, but it refers to individual verses and passages from the Bible. So whereas Logos is the word, Rima is a word from the word. The evangelist Harry Ironside once said, the Bible is not the sword of the Spirit, it is the armory. There are thousands of swords in the Bible. That's the idea that Paul is conveying when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Rima. This Bible contains lots of specific words that speak to us in lots of different circumstances and points of temptation. This, the idea behind Rima, a, a word, is a specific, timely, relevant passage of Scripture for a specific circumstance. Listen to 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. If you've been a Christian for some time, you're probably familiar with this passage already. And if you're not, let me introduce you to a great passage. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That passage makes the comprehensive claim that the Bible contains all that we need to live a life that's pleasing to God. It uses words like thoroughly and every good work. It contains words that have the power to tear down strongholds of sin in our lives. It contains words to change the course of a life. I believe that the Bible... And all the rima that it contains, all those words, have the power 
to overcome things that seem too powerful to ever be overcome, including the grip of certain habit sins in your life. I believe that it can end addiction. I believe that God, through his word, can save a marriage. I believe that the Bible contains words that produce faith in the midst of doubt, bring us up short and confront us in our waywardness. It has words to comfort the grieving. I believe that the Bible has a self-authenticating weight and that those who belong to Jesus hear his voice calling to us in the midst of it. I believe that these words can do far more than any big pile of words I can heap up here in front of you from this podium. It has the power to lift up a backslidden brother or sister, to bring hope into the midst of despair, love, into the midst of hate. I hold a privileged position among God's people in that I'm, I'm allowed to see stories of transformation that I can't share from up here without permission. <laughs> but I have seen people begin in one place arguing with me, and when the word of God is brought to bear over time, they are brought to another place where they say, I was wrong, and I'm repenting of it. I've had the privilege of being present for those conversations. That's the power of the word of God to confront, to rebuke, to correct, to train, to teach. And it's needed. If we are going to put to death, put away and put off the old self, and you think that that can be accomplished in some way without bringing the word of God to bear in your life, you're just mistaken. You're going to keep spinning your tires. You're not going to make much progress in holiness. It contains everything needed to confront false doctrines and the deceptive philosophies of this age. All those swords and more are to be found in this arsenal. The Bible, guys, is not like other books. It's not like a book that merely entertains or provides us with information like a manual. Something happens when you sit down to begin and read, to read and dissect this piece of literature. We soon find that we're the ones being read. You're the one being dissected. It's a living word. The Bible is the only book I know that will read you when you open it. It's alive and it's available to you. And many of us this morning are struggling to put off the old self and we are not availing ourselves much of this arsenal. I wish Paul's instruction regarding the necessity of arming ourselves with the sword of the Spirit was as simple as tucking a Bible under our arm. But what he's talking about is a disciplined approach to training ourselves in the use of the Bible. Filling our minds with the truths of God's Word and applying those truths to how we actually live. And this calls for discipline, training, regular application. I hate all those words, by the way. <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't like going to the gym. I don't like lifting weights. I don't like anything that requires work and effort. 
But I'm going to tell you at the front end, if you're a new believer, that you have been called to a life of striving. There is this strong downward pull. Every inclination of your inner world is toward the rot of the old self. And it takes work and striving and discipline and positioning yourself among a people who will care for you to put off the old self. It's very... uh, um, I, in, at my house, I've planted several years ago, it came in the mail, just this bundle of sticks, willows. And it said in the instructions, you just stick them in the ground and keep it wet for a while and they will start to grow. I didn't believe them, but I did it. I stuck them in these two long arcing rows. And my thought was they'll get tall enough, I'll be able to bend them into the middle and make a tunnel. And I stuck those sticks in the ground and they started to bud. And ever since then, the world has tried to kill those willows. (laughs) People have come tromping through my yard and pushed them down. The road salt tries to kill them every spring. Right now I'm battling this terrible aphid infestation. Everything in the world wants to destroy my precious willow tunnel, guys. All I wanted was a sweet willow tunnel. This is getting weird. (laughs) But here's the thing. The pursuit of that vision has required way more work than I ever imagined. Uh, Everything it seems is trying to kill it. And there's something similar spiritually going on that you should be aware of. I don't like words like rebuke, correct, training, teaching. That's tough. Those are tough words. But I will say this, I need to be rebuked. The natural tendency of my inner world is to drift into error. I need to be corrected. I need to be brought back. I need to be trained up. I need to be taught things because I don't know it all. It takes a lot of humility to say, I'm going to need help to put off the old self, to put to death who I was and to enter into the fullness of the new self that I'm being called to be in the gospel. But this morning I'll close with this thought on how the word of God is needed if we are to put on the new self. Next week we're going to study verses 12 through 17, which will show us some important truths about how the community of the church Brothers and sisters surrounding you this morning is given to you by God as a means of grace to help you put on the new self. You need the word of God, but you also need God's people. This is an important part of it. And next week, we're going to talk about that. If you hear this message and not next week, you'll only be getting half of the picture. So come back next week. All of Nancy's family, I expect to see you all here next week. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to miss it. You know what I mean? But I'll close with this thought. So far, I've been talking mostly about putting off the old self. How do we put on the new self? Well, the word again is key to putting on the new self, just as it's key to putting off the old. Paul says here to the Colossians, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How many times have we returned to this idea in Colossians? Paul is beating this drum to a tatter with these people. That growing in Christ's likeness 
happens through growing in an awareness of who Christ is. You must be renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. The answer in putting on the new self is to fill your mind continuously with the truths about the things that are above. Last week we were told not to set our minds on the things of the earth, but on the things that are above. And now put on the new self, putting off the old, putting to death that which is earthly and putting on that which is heavenly. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, it says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. How? Well, here's how. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul was renewed by the spirit of his mind, in the spirit of his mind, by filling his mind with the unseen truths of eternity so that the loud lies of this present world were put to death, they were put away and put off. And he says, set your minds on the things that are above, which is to say, fill your mind with the truth of heaven. And in Ephesians 1, Paul says that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope to which God has called us, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Why does he want us to see these things with the eyes of our hearts? Because that is what renews the spirit of the mind when it is full of the truth of God's power and promises. In Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, Paul prayed for us that we may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And why? Because when your mind is filled with the love of Christ and with all the fullness of God, then the spirit of your mind is renewed and freed from the error of this world. And out of that renewed mind comes new attitudes and emotions and practices and, effect and affections. And they clothe you with the new self with righteousness and holiness. And this new person that you become is indeed the creation of God himself, and to him belongs all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, you have called us this morning to put on the new self, And we have come to see, Lord, that that is a command to publicly identify with our Lord Jesus. Not in the sense of putting on a show, but in all sincerity. Father, we know that a follower of Jesus, a disciple, is a sincere, from-the-heart imitator of him. And so, Father, we pray for your help in putting on the new self. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us, that rebukes us, corrects us, trains us in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we invite you through your word to put to death that the old self, which remains very much 
in our inner world. God, give us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and your word, God, the capacity to put to death, to put away, and to put off those things in which we used to walk before you open the eyes of our hearts to see the excellence and necessity of the gospel. God, help us to represent you well in these days. Help us to love one another well. Father Paul concludes these verses by saying that in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, barbarian, slave, free, Scythian. God, I pray that that which unites us here would be a common bond in Christ, that the family resemblance which is imaged forth here would be Christ. God, we are not by natural descent of the same people. God, there is much that is different in us, but God, you have brought us all into one people, and now we are one people, and the common bond is Christ. And so, Father, the new self, I pray that you would make it visible here among us and that you would unite us into a people who walks in the light of Scripture as an honest reflection of our Lord Jesus. We ask you to do that here among us and as we go out from here, God, into our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.